Welcome to the IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast for couples who struggle with infertility and want to fulfill their dreams of becoming parents. In this podcast, you'll learn actionable strategies to deal with infertility from Dr. Michael Chapman, or Prof as he's affectionately known. Prof is the co-founder of IVF Australia and is a leading Australian infertility specialist who has helped over 3,000 couples realise their dreams of becoming parents. To access previous episodes packed with ideas, solutions and tips that actually work, head over to Dr Chapman's IVF podcast on iTunes. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 111 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au. That first cry of a baby born after the long journey of IVF remains one of the most beautiful experiences in the world. As an obstetrician and an IVF specialist, I've had the privilege of experiencing this over many thousands of times in my long career, but I still remain moved by each baby's first cry. It signifies the end of a long journey and the beginning of a new life. This is Professor Michael Chapman, co-founder of IVF Australia and host of the IVF Journey podcast. Thanks for tuning in. To access all the previous episodes, head over to my website, www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. You'll also be able to find the various services that we provide at IVF Australia. Many of you who are listening to this will not yet have taken the step of seeing a fertility specialist and are perhaps wondering what it involves. I suppose the first step is to admit that you need to see a fertility specialist. And for some, that's quite difficult, particularly the male, that you've been trying and you haven't succeeded. There's a degree of frustration, which is usually felt more by the female than the male partner. And eventually a point is reached where a couple decide to see a fertility specialist and to see one ASAP because now is the time. It all becomes very here and now you'll do your research into which fertility specialist to go and see. That can be a variety of approaches. The commonest one is obviously going to your GP, who probably has their favourite fertility specialist, who they've had pregnancies with, who patients come back and say this is a nice person, that the service that the clinic provides is excellent, and this is the place to go. Increasingly, people are going to the internet and looking up fertility specialists and seeing, in fact, what they find is all the marketing blurb from the various fertility clinics as to why they might be the best one for you. Interestingly, the commonest reason for going to a fertility clinic is the location. People generally are going to fertility specialists who are local to them. And provided there's not much negativity and that they've had friends and that who recommended a clinic, because that's the other major source of referral. And if you've got friends, you tend to be friends locally and those people will refer you locally. One word of caution that I would make is that not all people who call themselves fertility specialists actually are 
expert in all the aspects of fertility. The general gynaecologist who does a few IVF cycles calls themselves a fertility specialist, but in fact they've had no formal training and certainly no training in male problems because they were trained as gynaecologists and, and women's problems. And they don't usually know very much about genetics because in training to be a general obstetrician and gynaecologist, a superficial knowledge is all that is required. So do a bit of research and find out whether the person you're going to see is actually a highly qualified fertility specialist. The Royal Australian New Zealand College of Obstetrics and Gynaecologists has a specific training program for fertility specialists called CREI, Certification in Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility. There are about 70 around Australia and as a first stop, particularly if they're local, they are the people to see. They'll give you the most expert advice. So you've chosen your clinic, you've chosen your specialist, you've got your referral from your general practitioner that you need to get to get your Medicare rebates because that's the way the system in Australia works and you're fronting up for the first visit. Generally that'll be quite a long visit because the doctor will be taking a history from both you and your partner. It will require background information about all your medical conditions, all your past history, whether you've been pregnant before, whether you've had any operations that might interfere uh, with fertility like acute appendicitis and the male side may be procedures done as a child in relation to cysts on the testes uh, or undescended testes. So a long and complex history including about medications that you might have taken or other drugs that you may, recreational drugs that you may have indulged in, smoking, alcohol etc. So it is a comprehensive discussion that you're going to end up having. It would be good to go armed beforehand with your medical history, your menstrual history. In other words, when did you start having periods, how frequent they've been, any pain with them. So all of that sort of history is, is extremely useful for the fertility specialist to try and work out why you guys haven't been able to conceive. Once you've had that conversation, generally the doctor will undertake investigations. If there are clinical history that uh, indicates that examination may be useful, like you've had an ultrasound recently that shows fibroids, or uh, on the male side he's had a semen analysis and it's showing poor quality, then the uh, fertility specialist will probably undertake an examination. But in most cases I certainly don't examine either patient in any great detail because the various investigations we're going to do to sort out the problem cover those issues. So, what are those investigations? Well, overall, the reasons why people don't get pregnant are that they're not making an egg on a regular basis. They're not ovulating, called anovulation. And when with polycystic ovaries, for instance, that's the commonest cause for their infertility. The second is obviously that the sperm has to be of good quality. And the third reason is that there is a problem with the sperm and the egg getting together because the fallopian tubes are blocked. So initial investigations focus on those issues. So the first thing will be a semen analysis. I'm quite particular about semen analysis because the general laboratories do a good view of the sperm in terms of counting and their capacity to swim 
but they're not trained andrologists who are looking at the shape of the sperm, which can be a significant influence. When a sperm test is done in an IVF service, where it is done by trained andrologists, there are other tests that we do that can be helpful in deciding even whether it counts normal that there might be problems with the sperm. For instance, the breakdown of the DNA in the head of the sperm can cause poor fertility, poor fertilization and ultimately high miscarriage rates. And that's worth doing, particularly if there's any history of those conditions. The general gynecologist probably won't do those detailed assessments. Then the tests for ovulation. Now a woman that's got a regular cycle, 28 to 30 days, almost certainly she's ovulating and really almost doesn't need a test. But when we're not sure, we do a, a, a blood test to look for a, a hormone progesterone, which is only produced if ovulation has occurred. That's generally done about seven days after ovulation has occurred or seven days before a period is due. With irregular cycles, that can be a bit tricky and the doctor may order two or three blood tests to try and find the highest level of progesterone. The third aspect, that of tubal patency, can be done in three different ways. The first and the gold standard, but the most invasive, is to have a laparoscopy. When we do a laparoscopy, that's looking inside with a telescope through your belly button, and what we do is squirt dye up through the neck of the womb and watch it come out of the, the fallopian tubes, and that says that your tubes are open. The advantage of a laparoscopy is that if there's other problems like endometriosis or pelvic infection in the past, we can see those and maybe even treat them. There are some gynaecologists who do a laparoscopy pretty routinely on most patients. However, there are a large number of patients who probably have an unnecessary laparoscopy in that scenario, other than reassuring that everything is normal. The guidelines uh, from the UK in particular suggest that a laparoscopy should only be undertaken if there are clinical indications. So a previous history of surgery, a previous story of pain that might be suggestive of endometriosis, or when we do the, one of the other tests, we find there's a problem with tubal patency. So only a small percentage of my patients end up with a laparoscopy at that point. The other two investigations are done as outpatients and are relatively straightforward, although quite uncomfortable. The first is called a hysterosalpingogram, HSG. We've been doing those for half a century or longer. It's a traditional way of checking whether tubes are patent. And what it involves is going to a radiology unit where the doctor will insert a speculum in the vagina, like having a pap smear, then place a small tube just inside the neck of the womb and squirt dye up through the uterus and watch on the x-ray screen the dye flow out through the fallopian tubes into the abdominal cavity. The x-ray taken can then be viewed by the fertility specialist to make sure that he's comfortable that uh, all is well. That procedure is can be uncomfortable and I always suggest taking a couple of naprogesic or neurofin an hour beforehand because you can get a cramp as the uterus isn't particularly happy about it being filled with a gush of fluid so you can get spasm of the, the uterus like a period pain. A similar investigation using ultrasound can be done and in that scenario exactly the same situation of a speculum, a tube going into the cervix and then the injection of dye that can be picked up 
by ultrasound flowing through the uterus and, and out. They're said to be equivalent in terms of getting the results right most of the time. Personally, I produce, prefer an HSG, the X-ray one, because I can actually look at the pictures where I can't really interpret ultrasound. It really can only be interpreted at the time. So those three aspects are then what we start with. There's a bank of blood tests that also tend to be performed on your first visit. These are to test both partners for infectious conditions like hepatitis B and C and HIV because if we have to move on to a laboratory process, either IUI or IVF, the laboratory needs to know that both partners are negative for those. On the female side, we're also going to do all the tests that one would have to make sure that pregnancy, when it occurs, will be safe. So that's immunity to rubella, varicella, chickenpox and measles. That's right. <laughs> what am I saying? Anyway, so those tests are done as a routine. These days tend to do genetic testing on both parents. The risk of finding a chromosome abnormality in a, in a person that apparently is normal is actually quite low. In the general population, about 1 in 500 will have some aberration of their chromosome number, but still basically be normal themselves. But in an infertile population, it's probably nearer 1 in 150. And uh, there are a couple of abnormalities that, if we pick up, can play a vital part in a couple's chances of conceiving and also their chances of miscarrying. Something called a balanced translocation is what we particularly look for. So we do check genetic makeup. Occasionally on the male side, when there's low sperm, it may be due to a aberration of the X chromosome and the Y chromosome. The other investigation that we're increasingly suggesting for infertile couples, primarily for the good outcome from the baby, is prenatal testing of specific gene mutations that can lead to abnormalities in children. So the three commonest of those is cystic fibrosis, thalassemia and something called SMA, spinal muscular atrophy, which will kill a child by the age of five or six. However, those abnormalities are rare, but it's important to actually exclude them because they are so life-threatening. That's done by looking for the genetic mutations that cause them in each of the parents. If we find those, and by those long odds of you know 1 in 600 for CF and 1 in 10,000 for SMA, that both parents are carriers of the gene mutation, we can still have a pregnancy. But what we'll be doing is genetically testing the embryo before it puts back to make sure that it's not affected by the mutations. So that genetic testing is important and uh, with modern technology the costs of doing that are, are decreasing all the time. What will generally happen is that having sent you off with all of those blood tests, x-ray about your tubes, sperm analysis, that the fertility specialist will generally make an appointment for a month and during that time all those tests will be undertaken and the results will return to the specialist and you'll be sitting down on the second consultation to discuss the results and what the implications of those in terms of future treatment. The first visit is quite daunting, but it is a great step forward on the journey for you to have a baby. And don't forget, 
that you can access all the previous episodes by going to our website www.theivfjourney.com and select IVF Journey Podcast from the navigation menu. Thank you for listening to The IVF Journey with Dr. Michael Chapman, the podcast which helps couples negotiate their way through the IVF journey all the way to parenthood. You can also ask questions by contacting Dr. Chapman's rooms on 1800 483 or by emailing him michael.chapman at ivf.com.au.